Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 41 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're going to cover what diabetes looks like in animals how it's different from diabetes in humans, and things you should know about caring for an animal with diabetes. Reminder for everybody, if you have any questions about type 1 or about the show, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. Jesse, you have the win of the week. Yes, I do. And this week has been pretty weird. My blood sugars have been really up and down lately, even with my sensor on, and I've been in auto mode. So let me give you an example. One time I was 60 and then about an hour later I was in my 300s. So I haven't been feeling great this week, but I think for my win this week, I would say just keeping a level head on my shoulders and doing everything I can to get my blood sugar down. Now, I don't know why my blood sugar has been so crazy. It's probably just changing of the seasons or some environmental factor that I haven't quite figured out yet. But unfortunately, Colleen, you're up for our fail this week. So uh, before I get into the fail, I had a conversation with Tim last night about how the fail isn't meant to be kind of putting ourselves down. It's more of us trying to take lessons out of the stuff that goes wrong because every week something will inevitably go wrong with our, our diabetes. So we're not reporting our fails or searching out fails just to make a fail. So sometimes if we don't have a fail, there will be something from the past that we can pull a lesson from. And it's not about making ourselves feel bad. It's about getting the lessons from these fails. Right. It's just about, you know, trial and error, learning from our mistakes. Yep. So that being said, the fail this week is that Panther Camp has been canceled for 2020. And that's not really a fail on anybody's part except for COVID-19, because that's the reason it was canceled. And this is kind of bittersweet for me, especially since I've been going to camp for 20 years. I don't think camp has ever been canceled before. And so I'm really sad that camp isn't happening this year, but it's definitely the best interest for all parties involved that it's postponed to 2021. Jesse, you have the hack. Yes, I do. And I've been trying to pick my brain these last couple of weeks because I've been trying to figure out interesting hacks relatable for all of our diabetics here. So my hack this week would be to try different milk substances for your coffee. Now, I am a coffee fiend. I will drink coffee every single day, sometimes two or three cups, and my mom will yell at me because of it. But that's not where I'm going with this. So milk has a lot of sugar in it. Comparatively speaking, 13 carbs for one cup is a lot of carbs for just one cup. So rather than drink milk and start to spike my blood sugars, I started using low-carb lactose-free creamer from Trader Joe's. Now, it has a lot of coconut milk in it, and something else, but 
it's just the best option for me and I really really like it because it also has vanilla taste in it and that's just my personal preference. So to me, it tastes better than regular milk, and I've even gotten my mom into trying different creamers for her coffee with me. So she uses like coconut creamer, oat milks. We even have one that's a lactose-free, dairy-free coconut oat milk byproduct in our fridge, which is actually pretty good. She's lactose-free. She can't have dairy at all. So we don't really get milk that much anymore, except for my brother, but you know, it's just For us, the lactose-free stuff is a better option and it's generally lower carb too. So Colleen, I've got a question for you. What do you use rather than regular milk? I use heavy cream and I use heavy cream basically wherever I am. Even when I'm on business trips, I'll go out to a grocery store and I'll buy a little carton of heavy cream to put in the coffee that I get in the hotel room because it's just, it's so good. I don't need very much of it and it's cheap, kind of cheap, I guess. And it just tastes way better than milk, which to me now tastes really watered down because I'm so used to drinking heavy cream and things. Awesome. So if you're ever too milk orientated, just definitely try some like coconut based milks or oat milk or heavy cream or anything that you think would be better for you rather than a high sugary liquid in your coffee. All right. Diabetes in animals. So when we first started this podcast, a Facebook friend of mine asked if we could talk about diabetes in pets, since he owns this really gorgeous American Eskimo dog that has type 1 diabetes. So we're finally talking about diabetes in animals now, 41 episodes in. Diabetes can affect dogs, cats, apes, pigs, and horses, as well as some other animals. But for this episode, we're going to talk about it specifically in dogs and cats, since those are the most common household pets. So what does diabetes look like in animals, specifically dogs and cats? Something immediately interesting is that in dogs, type 1 diabetes is the most common type of diabetes, in contrast to human populations where type 2 is the most common. That just means that in dogs, their pancreases, like in human type 1, stop producing insulin and they're therefore insulin deficient. Canine type 2 diabetes occurs mostly in older obese dogs. And in yet another parallel, pregnant dogs can develop temporary insulin resistance, just like gestational diabetes in humans. The American Veterinary Medical Association says that diabetes in dogs and cats can occur at any age. However, diabetic dogs are usually 4 to 14 years of age, and most are diagnosed at roughly 7 to 10 years of age. Most diabetic cats are older than 6 years. Diabetes occurs in female dogs twice as often as male dogs, and certain breeds of dogs may be predisposed to diabetes. Obesity is also a significant risk factor for the development of diabetes. As dogs and cats age, they may also develop other diseases that can result in diabetes or could significantly affect their response to treatment for diabetes, including overactivity of the adrenal gland in dogs or overactivity of the thyroid gland in cats, pancreatitis, heart disease, kidney disease, urinary tract infections, and skin infections. The long-term use of medications containing corticosteroids is also a risk factor for diabetes. So my friend's dog, whose name is Bella, was diagnosed with diabetes when she was nine months old, and she's now four years old. So, like they said, it seems like with human diabetes, it can really be diagnosed at any age. So if dogs and cats can get type 1, type 2, and gestational, what else is similar? Well, a lot of the symptoms are pretty similar. They include excessive drinking of water and increased urination. That sounds familiar. Weight loss, even though there might be an increased appetite, also familiar. Cloudy eyes, especially in dogs, 
we know that in humans that your eyesight can be affected if your blood sugars are too high for too long. Chronic or recurring infections, including skin infections and urinary infections. Deteriorated coats. Cats may stop the grooming. And I know that my cat always has bath time every day, so if she ever stopped grooming, I would be concerned. <laughs> they may also sleep more or they're less active. They could also have a pungent breath with a chemical smell. And another one is reduced appetite, which we also see in humans. And then the general treatments are diet, as recommended by your veterinarian. Like, a, like for humans, diet is a key part to controlling blood sugars. You can listen to episode nine for what to eat as a type 1 diabetic if you're human. The next one is exercise, regular, moderate, and consistent. For humans, regular exercise helps keep blood sugars stable for longer periods of time and also reduces insulin needs. So this is the same with dogs and cats. And then injections of insulin, both regular and consistent. Like humans, dogs also need insulin to survive, but humans mostly get that through shots or insulin pumps. So treatments recommended by the American Veterinary Medical Association. Dogs and cats with diabetes usually require lifelong treatment with special diets, a good fitness regimen, and particularly in dogs, daily insulin injections. And the key to managing diabetic pets is to keep your pet's blood sugar at near normal levels and to avoid too high or too low levels that can be life-threatening. And a treatment that works for one pet might not work as well for another pet. And patience is important as you and your pet adjust to the new diet and the medications. Management of a diabetic pet could include things like, for dogs, a high-fiber diet, daily exercise. You should talk to your veterinarian about an appropriate exercise program, considering factors such as weight, overall health, and age. And owners should also consider spaying their female dogs who are diagnosed with diabetes. But I think that any dogs and cats should be spayed and neutered anyway, so this is kind of a given. For cats, they should probably be eating a high-protein, low-carb diet, and they should also be getting daily exercise. But it, it's kind of challenging to get a daily exercise routine with a cat because they're cats and they do what they want. <laughs> Although your, your vet could help you develop a plan. I know there's a lot of toys out there that encourage cats to run up and down the hall or play by themselves. Our cat will chase a laser pointer dot, but only if she wants to. She will also take a string down the hall. So we have, she loves strings. And so we'll drape strings and twine over her tower. And then she'll drag those into the office to indicate she wants to play. Your cat will probably tell you when she wants exercise. So it's, it's really important to maintain proper insulin and feeding schedules that are recommended for your pet. And it's also really important that your pet maintains a normal appetite while on insulin therapy, or you could risk low blood sugar if your pet's not eating and not absorbing enough sugars to balance the insulin's effects of removing the sugars from the bloodstream. So it's just like with humans. And then one thing my friends stress is that you have to keep a very regimented feeding schedule because when you do the same thing with insulin, if you don't balance the food with the insulin, then you're going to get wild highs and wild lows, and we don't want that. So with a pet, it's even more important because they can't tell you what's wrong. <laughs> so you'll also have to check your pet's blood sugar levels, and you can get testing kits from your veterinarian, or you can do it yourself at home. I don't know about using your own meter kit for a dog, but that would be weird. It might work, but I probably wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it just because if you think about it, we have to test on our fingers in certain parts of our arm to get like the right type of blood. You would think yeah. it would be the same with dogs is like if you go to their abdomen versus their paws or same with cats, you might get like a different blood in the meter and then it'll get a bad reading. Yeah, I know that 
later on, we're going to talk about where to actually prick the dog or the cat. And they recommend the paw pads, the ears, and then also the lips, which is interesting. I could see it. There's a lot more blood flow and the skin is thinner there. I'm sorry. This is just like working at animal health store. No, that's knowledge. really <laughs> good, good information. So I would think that it would be very different varying on where you prick the dog or cat. The bottom line, just like with humans and their uh, endocrinologists, make sure when you have a diabetic dog, you talk to your vet. <laughs> Pet owners should also watch for signs of insulin overdose, which can include weakness, tremors or seizures, and loss of appetite. Definitely talk to your vet or your emergency clinic immediately if you see any of these signs, and also consult your vet about what you should do in the meantime to help your pet until they can be examined by a vet, because a lot of vet clinics don't have emergency hours which is interesting. And, and then as signs of an insulin overdose can sometimes be very similar to signs of an underdose, it's very important that changes in dosage and frequency of insulin injections are only made by a veterinarian. So don't make any changes by yourself. So as humans, we can do that because we can see what our blood sugars are basically at all times now. But with dogs and cats, you can't really do that. Because older dogs and cats are more likely to develop age-related diseases or conditions, some of which could be confused with diabetes, it's really important to have regular checkups from your vet because those can keep your pet healthy and detect problems before they become more severe. And definitely, if you have any questions about your pet's health or their care management, talk to your vet. In addition, diabetic pets especially should be monitored for long-term complications, such as cataracts, which commonly develop in diabetic dogs and cats. And other problems that can occur include hind leg weakness due to low blood potassium, which is called hypokalemia, a high blood pressure, which is hypertension, or lower urinary tract infections. Diabetic dogs and cats can live long and healthy lives with proper management and vet care. But if you notice any changes with their behavior or their weight, talk to your vet. Long-term complications for dogs can include low blood sugar, ketoacidosis, and cataracts. And in cats, it can be low blood sugar, chronic pancreatitis, which is inflammation of the pancreas, poor grooming, recurrent infections, ketoacidosis, and also peripheral neuropathy. And that's a disease or a degeneration that affects the nerves. And it's one of the most common chronic complications of diabetes in cats. It's often referred to as diabetic neuropathy, and it typically affects the hind legs, causing weakness, loss of coordination, inability to jump, and a distant stance or posture where the cat's rear legs touch the ground when it walks. And I've seen a picture of this, and it looks really sad. So take care of your pets, y'all. If your, your cat looks like it might have diabetes, get it checked out. So how is pet diabetes different from human diabetes in addition to all the other stuff we just listed? I guess it shouldn't have surprised me, but pet insulin is different from insulin that humans use. So if you have a diabetic animal, don't use your insulin on it. The primary insulin for vets that I've seen is called Vetsulin, which is what my friend uses on his dog, Bella. You also can't exactly slap a CGM on a dog or a cat without a vet. And we'll talk about this more in the spotlight. But when checking a pet's blood sugar, you have to prick the pat on the paw, the ears, or the lips to get the blood sample like we talked about earlier. And understandably, this causes stress for the pets. So remember, dogs and cats can't tell you when they're feeling low or high. You have to pay attention to their behaviors and then take responsibility for them. Right. And I have a fun, kind of sad story here, just for a little segue for a minute. So when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, my whole school knew about it. My parents were really involved in school and the community, and, you know, I was in elementary school at the time. So 
to make me feel better, everybody would tell me about their diabetic relatives, about who they know, who had diabetes, friends, cousins, aunts, uncles. But there was one person who went above and beyond anyone else in my entire school. It was my elementary librarian, Miss Milgard, and she told me her cat was diabetic. At first, I really didn't believe her considering the fact that I was eight years old and I didn't know much about diabetes or that cats actually could get diabetes. So I went home and asked my parents and we all thought it was hilarious. Like I was in comparison with a cat. So it caused a lot of home teasing, but not in a bad way. It was just more of like, oh, Jessica's in league with a cat. I wonder who can do better kind of thing. So everybody thought it was funny. So I don't know how it worked. But she would tell me about its pump versus my pump. This cat had a pump? Yeah, it did. And she didn't really go into great detail or anything. And, and I, I was just eight years old and confused anyways. So it was really interesting to hear about how her cat had diabetes and an insulin pump and how I was on insulin shots until I was on the pump. And she was like, oh, that's just because I told her about my cat kind of thing. So she was a very funny person. So I, I did ask my friend about how he cares for Bella, his diabetic American Eskimo dog. And he said that she gets shots twice a day and they maintain a really strict feeding schedule to make sure she doesn't have any issues. They treat it just as seriously as they would if they had to take their own insulin shots. And that's definitely the right attitude. They've been so on top of her diabetes that they've never had to change her insulin or her dosage, which is pretty cool. They have their insulin delivered to their house via a service called Alivet, and they get their syringes from Amazon. There are specific pet syringes and sharps containers that they buy. They also give her eye drops that help prevent the cataracts, which is a long-term complication of diabetes in dogs. And we'll post pictures of these things, including a shot of Bella in the show notes. If your pet has or gets diabetes, his advice is not to treat it casually. It's important to keep the feeding schedule constant, make sure any treats you feed your pet won't spike their blood sugar, and remember that it's a lifetime commitment to them. They can't manage it by themselves like we can as humans. You have to make a choice to support your diabetic pet as seriously as you would a diabetic child or yourself should you get it. And the spotlight this week is on the Freestyle Libre sensor, which can actually be used on dogs and cats. It's so far the only CGM that vets have used. And somewhat unfortunately, Abbott, the company that makes the Freestyle Libre, does not provide support for veterinary use. That means it's not officially approved for animals, and they don't answer questions about use with animals on their support line. They also won't replace sensors if they prematurely detach, which is a likely problem for animals. And I imagine cats would probably be the worst at it because they have to groom all the time. And what is this sensor doing on my body? Scratch it off. It's a huge step in the right direction for caring for diabetes in animals. If your pet has diabetes and you need the kind of data a CGM like the Libre can provide, talk with your vet about it. It's probably the best way to determine what your pet needs in terms of insulin dosages, which can take a few weeks to nail down. You likely won't need to use the CGM on your pet for the rest of its life, but it's definitely useful for troubleshooting dosages. And we'll post the link for more information in the show notes. Jesse, what is our question for the week? Our question for you, our lovely audience this week, is have you ever encountered a diabetic animal? Do you actually own a diabetic pet? And how do you handle that? with their diabetes versus yours or somebody you knows. That's it for this episode of This Is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 41. That's the number 41. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. 
You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at inspiredforward.com coaching. I can help you change the way you're thinking and help make yourself a priority. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments that you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and all the people you know who have diabetic pets. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, since that really helps other people find us. Be sure to listen next week when we talk about brittle diabetes, what it is, why it's called that, and how to avoid becoming slash recover from being a brittle diabetic. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.